Hi, and welcome back to Let's Talk Fin Crime, the show where we explain not only what compliance and financial crime are, but most importantly, what it means for you and how it affects your daily life. I'm your host, Dave Ackerman. I'm a lawyer, a former chief compliance officer, and financial regulation expert for Nice Actimize based in New York City. We strive to bring you conversations with some of the most interesting people that we can find. Over the course of this show, we've tried to help you understand how to arm yourself against different aspects of financial crime. This week is the final episode of season one, so we're talking about something a little different. We are going to talk about a day in the life of someone who actually fights financial crime. In this episode of Let's Talk Fin Crime, we discuss something you've seen on TV and movies time and time again, money laundering. The mafia don who must clean his profits from their illegal enterprises, or an internet scammer who has to find a way to get the cash they stole out of the bank without being caught. But have you ever stopped to ask yourself, what is money laundering? Think about it. Aside from a word in movies, do you actually know? Most don't, but there are many dedicated men and women around the world who spend entire careers protecting you and me from those engaged in money laundering. We're going to talk a little bit about what money laundering is, how it affects you, and the steps that you can take to become more aware of its impact. So with that, I'd like to introduce our guest. Adam McLaughlin is the Global Head of Financial Crime Strategy in Anti-Money Laundering, massively long title, right here at Actimize. Formerly, he was an AML compliance manager for JP Morgan. And me being from a first responder family myself, I really appreciate this part. Adam spent nearly 10 years as a police detective in the UK. Part of his job as a detective was managing financial crime investigations for the City of London Police. And uh, with that, I'm really excited to introduce Adam. Adam, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dave. Really excited to be here, and um, hopefully everyone finds it interesting what I've got to say. Let's jump right into this, right? Like I, like I said in the introduction, most people have heard about money laundering in movies and TV. I would venture that most people have no clue what it is. So what is money laundering? What does that mean to the average person? So quite simply, it's, it's the movement of illicit wealth. Um, and I guess what is that? So lots of crimes create money. Uh, drugs, human trafficking, wildlife crime. You know, crooks don't do it because they love the job. They don't go to work and I love this job today. They do it because they, they make money and they make lots of money. Okay. The problem with that money is it's tainted. It's dirty money, as some people might call it. So you can't go and get your drugs. You can't sell drugs, get some money and then go to a bank account, especially when you're talking millions and millions and millions because the banks will raise questions and raise eyebrows while you're walking to the bank with a few million pounds when you're you're telling them you're a cleaner. Um, so you have to find some way to what we call clean that money. Uh, so you have to make sure, do things with that money. You put it through various companies, pretend companies, give it to people to put into their bank accounts. Um, and you have to, what I said, clean that money um, to distance it from the criminal activity that, you, that it's derived from. Once you've cleaned that money. But let me understand this correctly then. So so if I'm engaged in a legal enterprise, you mean to tell me that I can't just walk into any bank off the street with a million dollars in cash in a suitcase and say, can you put this into my account, please? 
probably 30, 40 years ago, you probably could have done. But nowadays, no. Um, there, there's software out there, there's technologies out there, and there's bank tellers and people on the front line know what to look for, and they know what looks odd. And so they have a duty to report upwards and ultimately to report to law enforcement. So no, they've gone on the days of walking in there with suitcases of millions of dollars and saying, can you bank this for me? Okay, so we've we've kind of dispelled that kind of movie rumor, and and it, even though it may have been true years ago, today it's definitely not. Okay, so then once I have my ill-gotten gains, I loved how you put that illicit funds. Um, I have to find ways then to take that money and look like it was earned using legitimate means. Is that correct? Absolutely, absolutely, yes, yes. Okay, so that's what we see in things like Ozark or um, you know a bunch of other different movies out there where where uh, they'll own a bunch of different cash businesses and try to clean that money, as you said, so it looks like it, it comes from a legitimate place. Okay, so now that we understand at a very very high level, the last thing I want to do is give a master class on how to engage in money laundering. But now that we understand what money laundering is, um. A question that I often ask people that come on the show, who cares? So what? What's the big deal? How does that affect people? How does that affect society? So everyone should care because I I think there's the misperception that it's a hidden crime. Money laundering, I think your point there, who cares? Why does it matter to me? Well, it totally does matter to you because, you know, drug dealers sell drugs to people. Uh, you get drug users who commit crime, you know, it might be petty shoplifting, uh, might be assaults, robberies, burglaries. Right. If the criminals and the organized crime gangs don't get the money and can't use their money from drug dealing, then drug dealing, you then look at things like wildlife crime. They, they won't exist for our children, our children's children. Now, people want a lion skin or a tiger skin or they want the tusks from elephants. And so poaching is happening because of the illegal wildlife trade, okay? Um, deforestation, um, you know, some of it's for grazing animals, but others, you know, you've got highly valuable wood um, or ferns or other um, exotic plants that are stolen and acquired illegally to sell to people um, in the, on the black market. So it affects us all, you know, it's affecting climate change, it's affecting the extinction of animals, you know, it affects our streets, and our communities, because you have drug users, drug dealers, you have violent crime associated with that. So it absolutely does affect us. And then you've got things like human trafficking. Okay, you know, the house next door, there could be somebody in there who's a, a slave, a domestic slave, a sex slave, um, who are hidden from view, who've been stolen from their families, who have been taken across borders. Um, you know, I'm sure they wouldn't say that it's a baseless crime. You know, they are the victim and people are making lots of money out of them. And the crazy thing is when you see those types of crimes that are busted and they, uh, you know, the news cameras interview the neighbors, they always say the same thing. I had no idea they were such a nice person. Um, it just goes to show you that people don't always necessarily understand what's happening behind the surface. So, okay. So then let's pivot for a second. So now that we understand, we should care because, and I think your point is well taken. It's anti-money laundering is essentially the concept of um, removing the ability for criminals to use the money that they're gaining from illicit activity. So, So what you're saying is we are trying to remove the benefit of them engaging in these illegal activities by making sure they can't spend that money. And that, to me, makes a lot of sense. If you're able, you know, 
um, how many different shows do we see on Netflix and things like that, where you have drug enterprises, uh, the Pablo Escobar series, that name escapes me for some reason. Um, so, but to me, that's insanely interesting because it's something that's happening that people don't realize. You know, people think, see things like Tiger King, or I read a, uh, I read an article not too long ago. There is a zoo that has a lion, a tiger, and a bear all living together because they were, they were a victim of wildlife trafficking and they were purchased by a drug dealer and kept in this cage. So when they were rescued, they ended up actually becoming their own little family. So, you know, that particular story had a happy ending, but it sounds to me like there's a lot more going on here than what people realize. Absolutely. And I'll just share that with you. So I find this absolutely fascinating. And when I do talks, I give this stat because I just find it crazy. Right. And in terms of how much money these criminals are making, you know, we're not talking small change here. We are talking some serious money these criminals are making across the board. So it's estimated, you know, the criminals don't present their um, accounts every year. So, you know, it's it's estimations only because, you know, they don't go to the accountant and go, here's all my money and here's what I'm making from illicit crime, right? It's, it's all hidden behind the scenes. But the estimations are that between 2 to 5% of global GDP annually is illicit crime. It's illicit money movements, okay? I'm sorry. Say that again. Two to two and a half no, percent. Two, two to five. No, two to five. GDP. No, two to five percent of G- wow. global GDP is illicit wealth um, movements. And, and if you if you convert that into into financial terms, you know what is that financially? You know, two to five percent could be anything, right? It's it's between eight hundred million and two point five trillion US dollars is laundered by criminals every single year. You know, we're, we're talking big wow. money here. That's okay. So now you've got my attention. That's for sure. Um, all right. So you were with the the city of London police for a number of years. And part of your job was economic crime. Um, so let me ask your opinion, strictly your opinion. How effective are we at stopping this? It sounds to me like this is a big problem. And you know, human trafficking, terror financing, wildlife trafficking. This is, this is big, big crime. This is big stuff. Um, and there's a lot of us that are dedicated to stopping it, but how good are we at really? You, you want the honest answer? We're not. <laughs> quite, quite simply, you know, in my view, we're not, we're not good enough. You know, everyone's heart's in the right place. Everyone wants to do good and everyone wants to stop this crime you know from law enforcement through to the banking staff who are reporting this stuff but we're, we're just not good at it um quite quite simply uh, you know and a, another stat i've got so you know this is uk based but the national crime agency is the um, agency where um, reports from the banks are filed to and they they look at the investigations and whether they want to investigate it the national crime agency in the uk have estimated that you know 100 billion is laundered through the uk every year so this is just one country 100 billion is laundered through the UK every year. You look at how much was seized by UK law enforcement, um, and this is 2018 to 2019 stats. Unfortunately, I don't have anything more recent, but just under 217 million was seized off that 100 billion estimate. Um, so you look at the conversion, that, that is around that 1%, or actually just under 1%. So that, that sort of estimation figures globally is probably about right. Um, so clearly, we're not good at really stopping it quite simply and then you look at police numbers so 
in the UK, you've got about 150,000 police officers um, across the whole of in the UK. Across the country. Across the whole of the UK, you've got 150,000 police officers. That's made up from uniformed officers, detectives, um, and all the various, you know, traffic police. Um, these obviously do lots of different roles. So you've got detectives who investigate murders, you know, kidnappings, uh, who investigate robberies and burglaries. Uh, and you also have a, n- a number of officers who investigate financial crime, who are dedicated financial crime investigation detectives, like myself when I was in the City of London Police. Those officers total a thousand officers tops, I would say, nationally across the UK. Wow. And that's probably similar stats, I would say, across other parts um, of the globe, including the US. So you look at how many start. So the reports filed by the banks to law enforcement, they number in tens of thousands, right? A thousand staff trying to investigate tens of thousands of reports. It, you know, something doesn't compute. It's, it's not possible. It, yeah. It's not going to work. So policing has to be intelligence led. Right. If we don't know it, we can't act on it. Okay. So we have to have the information to be able to act on that information. And I guess this is where everyone comes into play. You know, members of the public, the banks, you know, if people see something suspicious, a bit like terrorism, uh, you know, they say, see it, um, report it. And I think the same should be true for financial crime. If you see something suspicious, the house next door, for example, the, the, the slave who's been kept in the house against their will, if you see something suspicious, report it. It's, in my view, as an ex-law enforcement, it's better to report it and be wrong than not report it and wish you had, um, you know, down the line. It's funny you say that because, I mean, so there's, there's a lot in there that I would love to get on. But um, ironically, in New York City, and like I said, I come from a first responder family, <laughs> there's 36,000 uniformed officers in New York City alone. And... I would venture just because of the um, the amount of money and the amount of suspicious activity that comes through. I mean, it's like you said, it's a numbers game. There's no way that that the officers of that thirty six thousand who are dedicated sh- specifically to financial crimes are able to handle it. And then, additionally, how many of those officers are doing multiple different things like homicides or robberies or whatnot? And then when they do come across something like this, it is unrealistic to think that they would have a level of expertise to effectively investigate something along those lines um, without going to a dedicated unit like yours. So to me, in in my mind, I think it's a bit of, I, I love that idea of if you see something, say something. That is something that is posted on New York City subways since 9-11. And it's been a very effective campaign. But I have noticed, and we did a show on this previously, that um, people don't like to get involved. People feel like I need to mind my own business and and you know, who am I to judge another person for their actions or this, that, what if I'm wrong? What if this, what if that? So I, is there anything that you would say, like, let's say somebody came to you while you were with the city of London police and they, they were apprehensive about um, saying something. Uh, what would you say to that person to at least alleviate some of their anxiety or at least make them feel like you can say something and be wrong that that's okay. But, I think it's exactly that point. You can say something and be wrong. And, and I think, you know, 
what would you rather do? Go to bed knowing that you said something and actually it turned out to be right. Um, you know, I, th I think ultimate extremes is, and I don't want to be sort of morbid here, but you know, you could save someone's life. Okay. If you report something and you were right, you could save someone's life. You're right. That, that, that's the bottom line. Um, or, or the other extreme is, you know, if you say something and you stop that drug dealer who's terrorizing your neighborhood, you know, being really violent, you know, creating mayhem and carnage for that, for your neighborhood. If you get that drug dealer off the street, then you know, it will help the community as a whole. You know, people might be scared to do that, but there is ways and means to, to do that. And there's things law enforcement can do to protect um, people who report crimes and report incidents. Um, you can do it anon anonymously as well. So you, there is hotlines where you can f report anonymously. Um, but ultimately, the way I look at it is law enforcement's like building a puzzle. Okay, sometimes those puzzles are complex. They're thousand piece puzzles, you know, 10,000 piece puzzles, right? And there's little bits of information you get and you, you build up puzzle. Every, every, every bit of information is a puzzle piece, right? In order to take someone down and to prosecute them, for money laundering um, or you know and or drug dealing or whatever they're doing to create that money in the first place you need to you need that complete puzzle picture and the information that somebody has might be that one puzzle piece that you cannot get your hands on that you don't know the information okay and it could be the difference between prosecuting them and sending them to prison for the rest of their life or let them carry on with what they're doing it, it's you know it's as simple as that ultimately you know you might hold the key to locking this person up and stopping their crimes so that's something I really want to echo for those listening. Um, it's the way Adam put this is brilliant. I mean, imagine trying to do a puzzle piece, a thousand pieces. Oh, and by the way, all the pieces are upside down and they're mixed with a thousand other puzzles at the same time. So, so the takeaway from that is definitely if you, if you see something, say something and financial crime is no different um, just because you think it might necessarily be benign or it's victimless. Clearly, as this discussion has has shown, it's not. It is definitely not victimless. It actually has an impact on you, your life, your community, your country. So one thing I kind of want to circle back to is this idea of, um, oh, by the way, actually, just a quick note. One of the things that when, when I worked at FINRA, which is a financial regulator in the US, one of the things I noticed is when you go after some of these criminals, you're not necessarily getting them on the crime that they're committing. So if they are engaging, like if they are um, forcing women into prostitution or they're selling drugs or whatnot, those types of crimes to prove in a court of law, forget, forget on the financial side, are insanely difficult. But proving money laundering, proving financial crime is, I'm not going to say it's not as difficult but it's different. You need different evidence. You need different, you pursue that case very, very differently than you would, let's say a violent crime. So um, an example of that, I would actually give from years ago, Al Capone was one of the most vicious mobsters the United States has ever seen. And what ultimately took him down was tax evasion, a financial crime. So you know, Adam, your point's well taken. People need to speak up if they see something. And so then let's um, let's pivot a little bit. What should they be looking for? I know I know money laundering finances a number of things. Terrorism is one of the number one um, money laundering is one of the number one areas that terrorism is financed. 
So what do people know how to look for? Like, what do these tellers know how to look for when someone comes in looking suspiciously? I, I, I think it's, uh, it's, a, it's a good question. I think it's someone who looks outside of what you'd expect the norm to be. Okay. So going, going back to this human trafficking thing, this, this slave, right. Is your neighbor, do, do, do they always have their windows shut? Right. Do you ever see someone peering out the windows, you know, with it, with curtains slightly ajar? Do you ever see, you know, do people ever go in and out of the house excessively? You know, I'm not saying that means that they're, you know, if you've got neighbors who've got lots of visitors, you know, they're, they're you know, by default going to have, um, trafficking people inside okay not, well, not during covid that's um, for sure. <laughs> um but you know but just unusual things and you know there's, there's a couple of examples where i i've had it before in law enforcement where um neighbors three or four neighbors in in a particular street saw that there was this one person who who was in the house all the time they never saw this person leave the house okay one of the rooms is the curtains were always drawn and this person you know, just, just it just looked odd. They, they that's how they described it. it. It looked odd. They couldn't work it out why, but this person in this house, never leaving, looking quite gaunt, just didn't quite marry with the road and the street. They reported it. And it turned out this person was a, uh, was a slave, um, a domestic slave who had been brought over from another country and was basically kept in servitude um, for about eight months, nine months before getting rescued. Okay, they reported it because they said this just doesn't match what we would expect to see here um you know the other things is you know if you, if you see somebody um offering you know you know things that don't don't look normal for them you know maybe sort of like ivory or you know skins for animals which you know are endangered animals report it you know they may not be the head honcho they, they're probably not the crime group head but you know you need to start small you need to get intelligence to build up as to who's controlling these people you know, drug drug dealers where the drug dealers um you know tra- dealing you know what times a day this intelligence is really useful for law enforcement because you can then work up the chain from the the, the street level guy and start working up to the the head honcho who, who's controlling these guys so I, I think this goes back to my point any little bit of information that you can provide will help put a chink in the arm of these criminals and start allowing law enforcement to start focusing their efforts because you, you think how big the us is you think how big the uk is we can't have officers on every single street corner on every inch of the country it's impossible we have to focus our efforts we have to focus our resources and the only way we can focus our resources is having the right intelligence and the right information as to where to focus um and that, that comes from people on the ground you know people in neighborhoods you know people who are in the streets you know, that information is so valuable for us um, to start focusing our efforts in in the areas that matter. So it's interesting. And, and I had a friend of mine who ended up getting um, helping bring down a drug dealer because he was a car salesman and he, a gentleman came in dressed very, very nicely, um, picked out a car, wrote everything up and then handed him a suitcase in cash paid for And now, Obviously, paying for a car in cash is not necessarily uh, illegal in and of itself, but it struck him that this man was walking around with $60,000 worth of cash in a briefcase and just decided to purchase a car. So, you know, one thing led to another. And similar to your example, uh, the officers took his story very seriously and they, they managed to find out what was actually happening and then connected it to a particularly large drug deal, a uh, drug ring. So you know, the 
a, a lot of what we try to focus on in this show, and those of you listening have heard me do this time and time again, it's what does this mean to you? Why should you be aware of it? And what can you do about it? And it sounds to me like what, what Adam is saying is the major takeaway here is keep your eyes open. And if it doesn't smell right, and this is something that we in financial crime say often, we say it internally as well when we're training investigators, you can smell when something's wrong. Um, when we walk in to do an audit or an examination in, in the financial world, if the culture is wrong, if something doesn't fit, you walk in that door and you just feel it. You smell it. You can't quite put your finger on it, but your instincts tell you that there's something that you need to continue looking at here. That's kind of what you're looking for. That's that type of uneasiness or something like that. Then that is going to help somebody like him turn over another one of those pieces and try to put that puzzle together. So, um, Adam, I, I kind of want to end this conversation with one last discussion on this um, this idea that we're not particularly we're not great at this, right? Um, as you said before, it's there is uh, there's a lot going on out there, and although I mean, I think the numbers that you said, what two hundred million from 18 to 19 that the the UK was able to seize. seize. Yep, that's correct, yeah. Now, to those people who are being affected by that, I'm sure that that makes a huge difference. And when when you're fighting this stuff, I would imagine that the only thing in the back of your mind is this this 100 times more out there that I'm not getting and how do I get it? Um one of the things that I'm kind of curious about is how are how are police departments, how are governments, um, how are lawmakers, what are they doing to try to rise to this challenge? Because they keep putting these rules in place, right? Don't do this, do that, don't do this. You have to report things a certain way. But it's still happening. And we're still not catching enough of it. So how are they looking at this moving forward and how should they be looking at this if they're not looking at it properly in your opinion of course no sure so i, I think the tide is turning um and what what has started has happened is everyone's worked in silos so you have law enforcement working in their own way you have regulators working their own way the the banks in the financial sector will file reports to law enforcement and never get any feedback. Um, so they don't know whether they're, what they're reporting is, is good um, information or bad information. They just they just don't know. And, and the banks don't work together either. So the banks work in isolation, not talk to each other, and just look at their little piece of that puzzle without looking at a bigger picture. Right? Crooks don't work that way. Right? You, know, you, you, look, you look at drug dealers from, from Central and South America. Right? They all work together. They create cartels. Okay. You know, they're all individual groups of gangs, but they work together for the greater good of their organizations, which is to move their goods and move money back into their country so they can spend their money. Okay. They don't care about jurisdictional borders. They don't care about rules and regulations. Okay. They don't have to follow anything. They just do what they need to do to make their money. Okay. And this is what the we need to do as a sector, you know, law enforcement, the financial institutions. We need to work together and 
where as much as possible not worry about borders um, and so regulations are starting to change they're starting to talk about information sharing a lot more there's public private partnerships that have been set up and they're springing up all over the globe where law enforcement and the private sector are getting together and actually sharing information between each other um, and I think we're going to see more of that moving forward over the next few years. And I think I think that's really going to be a key driver um, to fighting this. But also technology, technology plays a big part in it. You know, to, you know, new technologies that are coming into the market now can do things ten thousand, a million times quicker than any human being can ever do. So it can it can draw patterns, identify behaviours. It can it can spot bad behaviour a lot quicker. Um, so. It, people sharing information like working together and using technology, I think will really change the tide and, and help us capture more of that illicit wealth. That's really encouraging. Yeah, the, the technology changes. I, I've read somewhere where your cell phone is something like 100 or 200 times more powerful than the space shuttle that put people on the moon. And that's not that's not a particularly long period of time to see that kind of change. So hopefully um, we'll be able to get law enforcement, get banks and get individuals, truthfully, the tools that they need in order to really effectively fight this, not just now, but but into the future. So um, Adam McLaughlin is the global head of financial crime strategy and anti-money laundering at Nice Actimize. Adam, this has been a fascinating conversation. Um, maybe just one quick parting word. Uh, I, I know there's a lot to be done and I know there's a lot to move forward, but I also don't want to scare people into shutting their doors and peering out the windows because you know what, then someone might call the police on them. So um, is there, you said that you think that the tide is changing and it seemed to me like, like you felt very encouraged. Um, is where do you see this in let's say the next 10 or 20 years in terms of either cooperation or f- fighting money laundering or or being able to put a bigger dent into truly something that is a global problem so, 10 years time, I, I think i think we'll be a lo- in a lot different place in 10 years time uh, i think cooperation will be the norm um, i think technology will join up between different banks so rather than each bank looking at their own little piece of the puzzle there'd be a way for all the banks to look at all pieces of the puzzle along with law enforcement so you'll be able to build a picture in in a single technology um solution and i think people will be talking to each other a lot more um and i also think the other thing in 10 years time the public will be a lot more aware of the impact of financial crime a bit like the stuff we talked about i think at the moment there's not the understanding that maybe I'd like there to be. I think once there's more understanding and people realise that it is closer to home than they think, I, I think there'll be a lot more intelligence and information coming into law enforcement. Um, so that alongside the technology and, and working together, I think you know, 10 years' time we'll be in a very different place and the criminals won't be able to hide in the shadows anymore. Um, I'd say that's pretty encouraging. And you know, if there's any takeaway from that, it seems to be that there's a theme that's emerged from our conversation. It's really just... Um, information gathering and communication, not just communication between players in the financial industry, but communication between the average person and their financial institutions, their law enforcement, um, 
keep your eyes open. You, you can be part of the solution for a lot of the various different types of financial crime that we speak about. And this is definitely an area where, as Adam said, you could save someone's life. So thanks again for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe. If you have an idea for a show or if you're interested in being a guest, we'd love to hear from you. So drop us a line at podcast at niceactimize.com. Don't forget we have bonus content for every episode available at actimize.nice.com forward slash podcast. I want to thank Adam again for being with us. This was fantastic. We are going to take a short break before season two begins, but we're going to be back in May with all new amazing guests and all new episodes of Let's Talk Fan Grind.